Boy, it's quiet in here. <laughs> so the first service, we forgot to read the scripture, so I had to say it, and the paraphrase was really bad. So, thank you for reading that, Pastor Long. I like especially the part where Jesus got up in his face. Yeah, that's, that's a rebuke. That's a rebuke. Yeah, so... Um, this uh, sermon was assigned to me several weeks ago, maybe a month or month and a half ago. So I dutifully went to work and I studied the Greek language and all this stuff. And I came into teaching team and I had my points all thought out for note takers who both sit on the same pew back there. <laughs> Andrea Partington, Michelle Bell, just saying, <laughs> saying. I had it all fixed out where you could take notes. I was even going to put the points on the screen, which I never do. I was going to put them up there. So we got on teaching team like a week and a half ago, and I started to pontificate my points. And Pastor Laura, just in a very gentle way, said, you know, this is just one of many conversations Jesus had with Peter. And I thought, okay, there goes all my points, you know. So I trashed all that, well, deleted it in the computer, and then started over again. So we're just going to tell stories this morning. It's not going to lend itself to taking notes or whatever, you're just going to have to listen to an old guy tell stories. So let's just talk about Peter for a minute, because this was, in fact, one of several conversations Jesus had with this guy. And uh, in the first service, I was absolutely shocked. When you, when you hear the story, you'll hear why. But um, there's a guy in Louisiana who's the star of a show called Swamp People, does anybody ever watch Swamp People? Okay. Some people think that they rescue the alligators so that they can go somewhere nice. They hunt the alligators so they can eat them and sell the skin. And if that offends anybody, I apologize. So anyway, on this show, they uh, are issued so many tags per year, and they go out and fill these tags by thinning down the alligator population in the swamps of southern Louisiana. And on the show, to make it interesting from time to time, they have contests because there's several boats that go out with 200 apiece. And so they say, who can come back with the most alligators and slash the biggest alligator? So inevitably, the same guy wins year after year. And his name is Troy Landry. And he has two sons, Jacob, and I can't think of the other name, but he has two sons who have carried on the business and uh, because of his fame, because of his prowess as an alligator hunter, he's called the king of the swamp. Troy Landry, the king of the swamp. So everybody's always out to beat the king of the swamp in these contests. So what surprised me after the first service is somebody came up with their phone and said, look at this. And they had a picture of themselves with Troy Landry. <laughs> and they had actually hunted alligators in Louisiana themselves. So, yeah. And then I had somebody else come up and say, I watched that show one time and one time only. <laughs> I thought they were going to rescue alligators and take them to a zoo. And I found out quickly that's not what they did, so I stopped watching the show. So, uh, Swamp People's not for everybody, okay? So just be forewarned what it's about. So when you look at Peter and you unpack him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you unpack him in these four Gospels, you get the idea that in the Sea of Galilee, at least in this area he was from, he was the king of Galilee. 
on the same, didn't wear a crown and all that kind of stuff, but like Troy Landry's the king of the swamp, he was king of Galilee. He knew his stuff. He ran a family business, most likely, and as Pastor Laura's unpacked, uh, uh, fishing, the fishing business was lucrative, and it was booming, and it was expanding, and he was good at it. And so he, you know, dealt, he probably had several boats with several crews. He knew where to go. He knew all the techniques. He knew all the methods. People looked to him, you know, how do we do this? We've got a front moving in. How, what, how do we catch fish? I'll tell you. So he knew how to do it. So he kind of earned the title. We're just putting this on him. King of Galilee. So when Jesus came along early in the four gospels, he came along and he looked at Peter and he said, you are fishing, uh, you're a fisherman. I'm going to make you fisher of men. Would you follow me? We might, without thinking it, say, well, he, he rescued Peter from out of the gutter or Peter was down on his luck and, and Jesus helped him, you know, reach a higher level. No, Peter left a successful, lucrative, profitable situation to follow Jesus. So that's the first thing we need to know. And Pastor Laura's already kind of hinted at that in some of her messages. But when you look at Peter, you realize that he parlayed king of the Galilee, a king of Galilee to king of the posse or king of the disciples or king of the Messiah thing. Because when you, when you look at him, he is always the one who is assertive, uh, proactive, um, you know, doing the thing that nobody else would do. We, we like to make lessons out of him sinking when he tried to walk to Jesus on the water. He took a couple steps on the water. Yeah, have you ever tried water skiing? You know, and that's somebody pulling you and you got two big boards on your feet. That's hard enough. The guy got out of the boat and took a few steps. He defied gravity a couple steps. And then, of course, you know, then we talk about how he sunk. But he made a couple steps. Anybody else here done that? Okay. At Jesus' arrest, who's the one that stood up for him? Peter pulls out a sword. His aim was a little weak, but, you know, he, like the guy's an earbotomy. That was that what you would call that? I'm not, whack the guy's ear off. Um, do you may, I think it was in the Gospel of John. Uh, Jesus was talking about, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, and everybody just like, what? And, and a bunch of people bailed on him. Remember that? Big crowds left him. And he looks at his guys here and he says, are you going to leave too? And who, who was it that spoke up? It was Peter. He said, no, we'll not leave you. You have the words of life. We don't have anywhere else to go, you know? So Peter's the one that got that right. And then the passage that Pastor Laura read this morning, the first part of it, who do people say I am? Well, they say this, that. Well, who do you say I am? Peter, ooh, 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 you know? He was, I know, I know, you're the Messiah. He got it right. <clears throat> and at that point, Jesus said, God gave you that. And your name is Peter on the rock. I will build my church. So Peter... You get the idea that re Peter really owned that title. I'll be the rock. I'll be your rock. I'll be the king of the disciples. I'll make this Messiah thing work. I know how to run a fishing business. I know how to run this Messiah business. So, paraphrasing, when Jesus speaks up and says, I must die, Peter gets in his face. And we like to 
make this all churchy. No, he got in his face. Time out. This is not how this works. I felt the bread and the fish multiply in my hands. I've seen you calm storms. I've seen you teach thousands of people, feed thousands of people, raise people from the dead, heal blinded eyes, deafened ears, straighten limbs. I've seen you do all this stuff. We're on a roll. This is great. I'm glad I switched from fishing to this. This is awesome. You cannot die. This will never work if you die. This thing is growing. It's expanding. And I can make it happen. I can make it keep happening. Just listen to me, Jesus. I got the way. And what's interesting here is that instead of Jesus, you know, bending down and washing his feet, which he did later, instead of him being all humble, he got back in Peter's face. He rebuked him. And for everybody to hear, if you heard the passage, it wasn't just to Peter. It was to everybody standing around. And he looks at him and he says, you know what? You're thinking in typically human terms and human ways. You're not thinking the way God thinks. Man says you've got to get stronger. You've got to get bigger. You've got to get more impressive. You've got to expand this thing, protect this thing, push it. So how does God think? It's not said in this passage, but I, I just took two or three steps back and thought, okay, so what is Jesus talking about here? How's, you're thinking like a man. God thinks this way. How does God think? You ready to put on your philosopher's hat for just a second? All right, because this gets a little airish here. So think about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for all eternity had lived outside of time and space. There was no yesterday, today, and tomorrow. There just was. There was no, I'll go from here to here. There was no space. It was just no time, no space. It was completely free from those limitations. Completely free. So he makes up us, and what does he do? He steps inside of time and space. He limits himself with time and space to create us and then walk with us in the cool of the day. Yeah comes to a garden and walks with us. A garden he made, by the way, and walks with us. And then if you follow the story, the big story in the Old Testament, he goes from tending to all mankind, concentrating on all mankind, to say, I'm going to concentrate on this one family. So he talks to Abraham, and they become his kiddos. And he, he limits himself down to, he still loved everybody, but he concentrates on this one family. And then when the family gets in trouble and gets in slavery and gets rescued, what does he do? He camps out with his kids for 40 years in a pillar of smoke and fire, limiting himself, himself again. Already we're like, okay, we get the picture. Go to the New Testament. What's the first look we see of God? He's inside a virgin's womb. He's teeny tiny fetus. God, free from time and space, is now living inside of a womb. And then when he is born, look what he does. He doesn't expand. He continues to get smaller. He cuddles little, this sounds so disrespectful, little slobbery kids. I mean, you know, that's what they do. They drool and stuff. He cuddles them. He touches lepers who you're not supposed to touch. He goes to houses he's not supposed to go to. He gets down on the ground and writes in the dirt for a woman who's caught 
where she shouldn't have been caught, write some things. We look further into the story. We get down toward the end, and the very guys that were going to doubt, betray, deny, everything else, he gets down on the floor, and he washes their feet. And then the next thing we see, he's impaled on a cross. Can't move. The God who was free from time and space is impaled, locked on a tree until he died. And then they shove him in the ground in a tomb. We have a God who loves us so much and does whatever he can to let us know that he loves us by limiting himself further and further and further. He doesn't literally get smaller, but to accommodate us, he looks like he's getting smaller and smaller. So Peter, that's what God thinks. That's how he thinks. That's what he does. Peter didn't, that's not how he was thinking. And then, so then Jesus launches into this, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross. You know, you need to lose to save. It, you, what can you give for your own soul? If you gain the world, you forfeit. And he goes on this whole long thing. And then he ends up and he says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you, which is hard to swallow. But there is a shame piece involved here. And we'll, we'll kind of get into that. See where we're at here? Look at the conversations that Jesus has with Peter. And, and after this one, the next one he has that is really crucial is at that last supper. And he looks at Peter and he says, dude, you're, you know, the king of the posse here. Guess what you're going to do? You're going to deny me. And Peter's like, the rock doesn't do that. Peter doesn't do that. I know how to get things right. I'm not a catch fish. I know how to run the Messiah team. No, no. If somebody else drops the ball, I don't understand. I will not drop the ball. I'm the one you can count on. I'm Mr. Solid. I'm Mr. Rock. You can count on me. If Peter had denied Jesus without this conversation, it, it would have still been terrible. But what really stuck with him, what really cut him to the quick is that when the rooster crowed after the third time, he was like, oh, my gracious. The very thing I said I wouldn't do, the very person that I vowed I would never become, I became that person. And I denied him. But that wasn't the last conversation Jesus had with Peter. If you go to the last part of the Gospel of John, again, Peter's back fishing. wonder why he did that. Well, I suck at being a disciple, so I'll go back at what I know I'm good at. You know, I'll be king of Galilee again because I'm a terrible disciple. That, those days are over. I tried. It didn't work. I'll go back to what makes me feel good about myself. So he goes back to fishing, and again, he fishes all night and comes up goose egg. Nothing. So Jesus shows up in the morning on the beach. He's fixing them breakfast, and he, he does this ludicrous thing he likes to do. He says, hey, guys, um, you're missing it by about 10 feet. Just pull them up and put them over here. Anybody who does any fishing knows how stupid that is. Well, I'm not catching any fish on this side of the boat, so I'll go to that side of the boat. You know, they're not over here, but 10 feet away, they're over here. So you're thinking. But he did it and caught a dangerous load of fish. I mean, it almost broke things trying to get it in. 
So he comes, and once again, he had to say, oh, why does he always write? Why do I always blow it, you know? So he comes into the shore, and I'm just making this up. But you have to get the idea that he's hanging his head. He's thinking, oh, I've dreaded this conversation for so long. We're going to have to talk about the denial thing. He was right. I was wrong. I'm a failure. I feel flat on my face. I'm not the rock he said he, I said, he said I was. So he goes to Jesus, and then three times Jesus said, dude, you're still on the team. I'm still counting on you being Peter for me. And what's so cool here is that Peter thought that his failure disqualified him. And Jesus said, no, your failure enables you. It puts you in the place you need to be. This is exactly where I've been trying to get you. It's flat on your face, realizing you're not all that on your own. You're not Mr. Rock. So the very last conversation that he had with Peter was in the first chapter of Acts. Remember that? He was in, yeah, first chapter of Acts. And he tells the whole crew, not just Peter, but he tells the whole crew, I want you to go to that room up there and I want you to wait. Now you followed Peter this whole time. Is Peter a goer and a waiter? I don't go and wait. That's not how I roll. I make things happen. I cut ears off. I walk on water. I get the answers right. That's who I am. But at this point, in this point, it was like, I'll go and wait. And he falls in with the crew, not as king of the disciples, but just one of the crew. I'm just one of the bunch, just like the rest of them. And I need to go and wait and see what happens. And then we know what happens. Then God says, boom, with his spirit. And all of a sudden, Peter, who had been cowed down by a little milkmaid there in the, in the courtyard. Remember that? She said, do you know him? And he said, I don't even know the guy, you know. And now he's out on the balcony and saying, let me tell you about my Jesus. Let me tell you about my Jesus. So he told him about his Jesus. And we know what happened. Thousands of people said, I want that Jesus. And the church was, the church was born. The whole thing that Jesus is trying to say is that we can gain, our, gain the world and lose our soul. We can expand on the outside and look really impressive, but on the inside we get smaller and smaller and smaller. Anybody watch The Lord of the Rings? You're familiar with that? You know, they got elves, they got dwarves, they got humans, they got, but my favorites are the hobbits. They're hobbitses. They're so cool. I mean, who doesn't like furry feet? You know, and they're just little, but they party all the time. They smoke these really cool pipes. They love on it. They're just cheerful and loving and kind. And so Tolkien does a really good job of painting that picture. And then you got this one hobbit who says, I'm going to be as strong as I can be. I'm going to be as big as I can be. I'm going to be as powerful as I can be. And he finds this ring that does it for him. And he becomes Gollum. Remember that? If you've seen those movies, you've seen it. And so somebody who started out so happy and so willing and eager to, to enjoy beauty and to celebrate, he winds up this almost like this reptilian creature in a cave, whining about his precious. I'm not Gollum. Hopefully I never was. But I understand this principle because 
I spent a lot of my life expanding on the outside. The churches I started, they grew. I had great ideas. I crafted my preaching. I did all this stuff. You know, I thought, man, I'm expanding. And on the inside, I was shrinking all the time. But I had a good teacher. It was my dad. My dad taught me how to do that. My dad grew up on a little farm in the Catskill Mountains of New York. And he spent his whole life, when, when he got old enough to think this way, he spent his whole life saying, all I want to do is get off this little farm and go to the big life. You know, I want the big life. I want to expand. I want to be somebody. So he went away to college instantly. Freshman year, freshman class president. Give him a few years, student body president. He traveled on teams that represented the college. Then he went to seminary. Same thing again. Freshman year president, student body president, traveled, did all this important stuff. In his 30s, which was unheard of, he was appointed to one of the most important pulpits in the whole denomination in Wilmore, Kentucky, Asbury College, Asbury Seminary. He recruited for the seminary, went all over the United States. He was expanding all the time. Because of his exposure, he was elected bishop in the denomination. And we don't have the official position of archbishop, but he became archbishop. He made sure that the headquarters were got relocated. He was even on committees with President Ronald Reagan in the same room with him working on committees. So my father on the outside expanded, expanded, expanded the whole time. I was his son growing up in his home and even later. Let me tell you about the last conversation I had with my dad. He passed with multiple myeloma, cancer of the bone marrow, and he fought it for years and years. And he's on his deathbed, and he calls for his family to come because he knew it was his time. And he got everybody else out of the room. He said, Wendell, I want to talk to you. Try to say this without break down. So the last conversation I had with my dad, he looked at me and he said, son, he said, I'm so sorry that I have been so hard on you all these years. But that's what you get when you have a father with low self-esteem. Outside, so impressive. Inside, shrunk down to low self-esteem. So he taught me that. I learned that from watching him. And we have a son, Jacob, who is in his mid-30s now. And I swore up and down I would never do that to my son. I will never do that to my son. And I did when he was little. I did. And we moved here to Bowling Green and I got involved in recovery way back in like 05, yeah, 05 or late 05. And I got so far along in it and I thought, wow, I need to do some repair work. So I went to our son. And I said, Jake, I need to make a myths. I'm so sorry. I talked about some particulars. Some things that had happened, I said, I'm so, so sorry. He said, Dad, I forgot all about that. He just forgave me. That's who our boy is. So you want to know about Jacob? Took him a while to find out who he was and what he wanted to do, but he's training to be a nurse in Madisonville. And uh, doing great. Has a beautiful wife, brand new little boy, Oliver. Coolest kid ever. So Jake is cleaning up hind ends and vomit and all the other good stuff that goes with being 
you know, in that line of work. And he's got his scrubs on and he's rushing around in the hospital doing this and that, this and that. So he's tending to this one patient in the room and this highfalutin <coughs> preacher comes in, dressed to the nines, you know, and he's got his little spiel all worked out. And he said, son, he said, you from here in Madisonville? Yes, sir, I am. He said, well, I'm the pastor of so-and-so church down here. He said, we have the best worship team in town. He said, we have a lively, vibrant young adult ministry, good biblical preaching. What do you do for worship, son? And without missing a lick, Jake looked at him. He said, I wash feet. I've never been more proud of my boy than when he told me that. So why did he learn that at 30? And it took me in my late or early 50s to learn this. And I'm so glad he learned it in his 30s. Y'all, if you're in your 30s and 40s, learn this. Don't wait till you're old and crusty. It, it, it's, you can gain the world and lose your soul. You can look really good on the outside and expand on the outside and be impressive on the outside and you shrink smaller and smaller inside. Jesus, okay, let me say this. It may make your head spin. This isn't true because Jesus said it. Jesus said it because it's true. Yeah. He's trying to help Peter. He's trying to help the rest of us. You can go that way, but in the end, you're going to forfeit who you want to be. I've got a life in store for you if you would like it. Be the grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. Then you can produce fruit. Pastor Lark, lead us in prayer. Last week, um, as you came in, or maybe today, um, we gave you a cross. Um, if you happen to have that cross with you, uh, let me invite you to get it out. If you don't, no problem. I'll guide you in a way that you don't have to have it. Um, if you don't have one yet, please grab one on your way out. But we're going to use um, the cross as just a way of, of focusing our prayer together today. So if you would place it in the palm of your hand, if you don't have your cross, just kind of like look down at the palm of your hand. We'll bow our heads together um, and focus our attention there. Um, but either on your cross or in your palm, I want you to trace the wide part of the cross, the horizontal part of the cross. And as you do, as you come before God, I want you to just reflect for just a moment. In what ways have you been trying to expand? In what ways have you been trying to make yourself bigger? How is it that you have been trying to gain the whole world all by yourself? Allow God to bring those places to mind today. And now if you would, trace the long part of the cross, the vertical part with your finger, or make that part of the cross in the palm of your hand. And as you do, trace it from the top to the bottom as a way of, of tangibly reminding yourself today that there is grace. As you trace again from top to bottom, receive that grace today. And as you trace 
the vertical part of the cross once more, consider. How is it that you can humble yourself before God rather than trying to make yourself bigger, rather than trying to make your name great? How is it that you can stoop before him and others and wash the feet of those around you? Lord God, we confess that we all um, at times are, are trying to figure out how, how to expand, how to make our name great, how, how to be bigger and better. But God, it's exhausting. We spend all this time trying, um, trying to, to earn for ourselves the world when, when God, you've, you've already given us so much. When you have already made us who we are, when you've already looked at us and called us your child, and, and made us more than enough. And so, God, I pray that each of us today would, would come before you and allow ourselves to hear you speaking into our lives, that we would allow ourselves to hear you um, inviting us to give up the fight, to stop exerting all this energy, to stop spinning our wheels, trying to make something of ourselves, and instead that we would just find rest knowing that we have already been made. <coughs> would you help us, God, to humble ourselves before you and allow you to lift us up, allow you to work through us to make your name great. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who has shown us the way. Amen.